And if you go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 24, we're continuing on and and closing in uh, on our Luke study. We can really see the light at the end of the tunnel now. I mean, we are right there at the end of Luke. We are so close. And so... For those of y'all, I think I said last week, I look back, we've been in Luke since before COVID. So it's been a long time. I guess it's a different world. It was a different world when we started Luke. Okay. So, and now we've just got two or three sermons left. So um, today we're going to be looking at one of actually longer sections of scripture for, um, for that we've done at one time in the gospel of Luke. What I'm going to do is we're reading the story um, of uh, the two people that Jesus meets on the road to Emmaus, that's Luke 24, 13 through 35. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off before I pray reading the beginning of the story. That'll kind of uh, give us a running start towards it. And then I'll read the rest of it as we work through the passage. So, so starting in verse uh, 13, chapter 24, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) Father God, as we come to your word, God, we thank you for... Um, the reality of your word. We thank you for the objectivity of your word. We thank you that you have blessed us by giving us this this objective revelation of yourself that we can go to, that we can see who you are. We can see how you have acted in history. We can see what you command of us and call us to in our lives. Most importantly, that we can see your son, Jesus Christ, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. God, we see... um, your son demonstrated he is foreshadowed in the old he is he fulfills in the new god we see your son all through your word as we open this passage and as we deal with that very idea as we as we study together god help us to to recognize uh, the beauty and the truth of that in your word every time we come to it god help us to see jesus christ in all the scriptures God, help us to um, recognize the incredible blessing that we have um, that you have shown us yourself through your word. Father, we pray uh, for our church. God, we ask that you would continue to work in us and through us. 
that you would, um, through our, our corporate witnesses, a church, through our individual witnesses in, in each of the spheres of, uh, influence and, and participation that, that we have, God, that, um, that we would be witnesses and ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Um, that people would know who Jesus Christ is because of us, that we would share him um, and and tell others about him, God, that we would invite others to know Jesus Christ and to follow him and have a relationship with him. Father, we ask that um, you would bless our church and that you would bless um, every gospel-preaching, Christ-centered church in our community. God, that you would use each of us as, as, as little, uh, camps, as little forward bases, um, God, as little embassies, um, for each community, um, in our larger community. So that from those places, the gospel of Jesus Christ could go out, that people could come to those places and be fed and be equipped and then be sent back out, uh, into the world. God, we thank you for the way that you have designed your church. We thank you for the blessings um, that come along with it. And we ask that your spirit would go ahead of us and prepare the ground. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're just going to jump in. I apologize. I've got a little bit of all the stuff, and so I'm a little croaky. Um, But we're just going to jump in because we've got kind of a long way to go and a short time to get there. So, um, So we set the scene in that passage that we just read. Um, Jesus uh, begins to walk next to these two men who were walking, leaving Jerusalem, heading to this town called Emmaus, a town that we don't actually know where it is um, archaeologically. Um, and suddenly Jesus walks alongside these two men and begins to converse with them. The key verse for this, this scene is verse 16, where it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Right. So these two men walk along with Jesus for a while, talking to him, engaging with him, but they don't recognize that it is Jesus. And it's not because Jesus is, you know, got his hood pulled down over his face. Okay, he hasn't cut his beard in a different way after the resurrection. He's not in disguise. Something supernatural has happened. Okay, the the Bible talks about this idea that their eyes are kept from recognizing him. Okay, not that they didn't recognize him, but they were being kept from recognizing him. God in his, in his sovereignty, in, in the way this scene is playing out is keeping Jesus from being recognized at the beginning of this encounter. All right. And so these men explain to Jesus, um, the confusing times that they live in, right. Of the last few days, um, these men and the, and the larger group of disciples in general are, let's be honest, they're at a loss to explain what is happening, all right? They are at a loss to explain what happened on Good Friday. They are now at a loss to explain the accounts that they are hearing from the women and from Peter and from these from different people who have gone to the empty tomb and the body of Jesus is missing. They're at a loss to explain how things have gone so contrary to their expectations. And that's sort of the first idea that I want to just sort of lean into as we set up this passage, is that is the very idea of the inexplicable nature of our lives, right? 
We just go through life and there are these things that happen and our lives progress along and, and situations arise. And oftentimes we acknowledge, like we just look up and we go, God, I have, I don't know what's going on, right? I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why these things are happening. I don't understand. This is not how I thought things were going to go. I love the line and, and, and there's something that, that sort of summarizes, I think, the, the feeling that these men and the other disciples and followers of Jesus would have had there in verse 21. It's just four short words that sum up their experience and probably our experiences too. He says, but we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped for something else than what has happened. Right. I'm sure that resonates with us because it's probably something that we say to ourselves when we're trying to explain the way our lives have gone. When we're trying to explain the situations that we have found ourselves in, we say the same kind of things. We say, well, I had hoped that things would have been different, that I would have had kids, that I would have been married, that that person would have gotten better that things would have turned out differently somehow, right? That's our lives. Like we do that on a regular basis. We look up and we say, I don't know how things happened this way. I don't know why you did things this way, God, but I'm at a loss and I had hoped for something different and that doesn't seem to be what you've done. There's many times in our lives where we are all at a loss to explain what God is doing and why he is moving in, in the way that the line goes, that God moves in a mysterious way. You know that line, right? Most people think it's from the Bible. It's not from the Bible. Um, It's from a poem that was turned into a hymn by a guy named uh, William Cooper. Um, And William Cooper had a very interesting life and very difficult life in some ways. He was a, a... Famous poet in his own time, but he struggled his entire life with mental illness. He struggled his entire life with depression and a a deep sense of fear that he was not one of God's children, that he was not actually um, saved, that he was under God's condemnation. Yet, in spite of all those things, he writes these incredible psalms and and songs and, and hymns about this, this sort of struggle of faith. And the gist of this poem, that one, God moves in a mysterious way, um, when you get through sort of the whole poem, you could kind of sum it up like this. He basically says, it's not our job to explain the events that we find ourselves in, right? There's oftentimes no way we can do that. It's not our job to explain the circumstances and why things are happening. What we're to do is to trust, not in our own understanding, but trust in the one that we know has control of all situations. And so we know that God is good, that God is wise, that God is trustworthy. And we may not know why we have come to the situation that we've come into, but we know the kind of God that we have, who we worship, and who watches over us, right? And so that's sort of the gist of that that poem, I think that's a biblical concept. That's an idea that we see. We know that God is good and trustworthy, and that's good advice in the midst of these uncertain kind of situations we find ourselves in. 
And it's how we should respond to the inexplicability of our lives and all the things that happen. But here's another angle, okay? Because on one side, there is this inexplicability to our lives. And on another side, we should have known better, okay? Because life is completely explicable, okay? At one level, it is completely explainable. That seems to be Jesus' point, actually, with all these strange events that are happening in this passage. Look at verse 25. It says, and he said to them, Jesus said to the two men, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So I'm always, my attention is always tweaked. When we come to a passage where Jesus insults us, okay, um, every once in a while, Jesus says something that you're like, that's a little, that's a little on the nose. Jesus is a little harsh, okay? When Jesus looks to you and goes, oh, foolish ones who are slow of heart to believe, right? There's, you go, okay, why is Jesus saying it this way? Why is he, is he talking in that way? I think it's because Jesus is trying to make us aware of something that we should have known that should have been obvious to us. And in this case, it is this. You were confused by the events that you see, disciples, two men who were on their way to Emmaus. But here's the deal. If you had paid closer attention to the scriptures, you would have seen that everything had to happen this way, that this is what we were heading to all along. So let's kind of take that this idea from two different interpretive angles. Okay. So first off, this sort of, What's going on in the passage, the historical, theological angle of what's going in the passage. Jesus is telling us about his life, death, and resurrection. And he is saying that everything that has happened has happened to according to plan. And that that plan is not, wouldn't be surprising if we had been paying attention. If we had looked to the scripture, and we do that in hindsight, right? As believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, we look to the Old Testament and go, man, like Jesus is just standing out on all the, in these different ways, like all these different passages pointing towards a cross, pointing towards the idea of a resurrection. I don't know how you would miss it in hindsight, but that wasn't what was happening at the time. They didn't see it coming, but Jesus is saying you should have, if you'd paid more attention, if you'd been, if you'd, if you'd known the word better, you would have expected things to happen like this. Again, people didn't expect the Messiah to come and die and be resurrected but they should have if they had been paying attention to the scriptures. And in fact, when we read the Old Testament, we see Jesus on every single page. We realize that Jesus was precisely accurate in what he said in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus says, the whole Old Testament is about the Messiah. The whole thing is about Jesus and his coming. Not just the direct prophecies that we all acknowledge about the Messiah, coming of the Messiah, but the whole thing is about Jesus. Creation, humanity, Adam, Israel, the snake's crushed head, the animal skins as they exit Eden, the ark and the rainbow and the ram in the thicket 
and the divided sacrifice, the burning bush and the tablets of stone and the bronze serpent and the scarlet thread and the blood on the lintel and the water from the rock and the kinsman redeemer and the son of man and the promised land and the temple and the offerings and the priesthood and the festivals and the harvest and the promises and the provisions and the atonement and the judgment and the redemption. It's all about Jesus, like the whole thing. It's all pointing to him. All of it. And Jesus says, you probably could have seen that if you had been paying more attention. You didn't expect it to go those ways, but you should have. Because it's all there. Now, I want us to take that principle, and that's the main idea that Jesus is getting at, but I want to take it and and apply it sort of more personally, morally, in a sense. Because I think the scriptures are saying something else, too, when we put ourselves in this situation. There's an analogy with our lives about these things. The confusion of that moment for those two men, the contrasting, the conflicting emotions that they were experiencing, Here's the deal. Whatever happens, whatever happens to us in our daily lives, we should expect it at a level. From reading the scriptures, the stories, the parables, the histories, the commands, whatever happens, it's something that we could expect to happen if we know the word of God. They should have known what life had in store for them. And we should too. Because here's the deal. And if you haven't figured out this yet in your life, I hope you do, is that it's coming. It's coming. You're like, Ash, what's coming? And the answer is all of it. Your dreams and your nightmares. It's coming. Miraculous, prayed for moments of inexpressible joy are coming. And sadness and brokenness that you could have never imagined is coming. Barren wombs. Unexpected children that were prayed for. Impossible victories. Collapsing nations. Provision in famine time and heartbreak in abundance. Weddings and funerals and broken promises and unlikely conversions and moral failings and heroic virtue and Palm Sundays and Maundy Thursdays and Good Fridays and Holy Saturdays and Resurrection Sundays. All those things are coming in your lives. God's word shows us that all these things come to God's people. And as we read the stories of the Bible, it should prepare our hearts for any possible scenario. But here's the thing. No matter what happens, Jesus is still at the center. No matter what happens, it's still all about Jesus in everything. He is the purpose. He is the way. He is the truth. 
He is the life. He is our refuge and our strength in good times and in difficult times. And if Jesus is at the center, if that's what it's all about, then here's the deal. Your whole life should be focused on encountering him. Okay, If Jesus is the center, then everything in your life should be about encountering Jesus. Just like these men have on the road. They're just walking, living their lives, going from one place to another, and they have encountered the risen Christ. And in encountering Jesus, it will give every meaning to the tragedy in your life and to the triumph in your life. And we can and we do encounter the resurrected Jesus. Every single one of us can. And there's no way to exhaust, obviously, all the different ways that we can encounter Jesus. The places that Jesus might encounter us are could be anywhere, but there are ordinary ways that Jesus encounters us all the time. And by ordinary, I don't mean that they are not extraordinary ways, but they are the common ways. They are the ways that are God's typical established means to encounter us on a regular basis. And we see them Three of them anyway, in verses 28 through 32. So 28 says, so they drew near to a village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. That is a, I say this every time we come across this passage, that is an enigmatic line. Like, I don't know what it means, but I get chill bumps every time I read it. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened the scriptures to us. All right, let me show you three things that we see in this passage about places that we meet Jesus. One, we meet Jesus in the exposition of his scripture. Okay, we meet Jesus in the word as the word is shared and taught and and spoken and read among us. What do these guys say? They said, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. The preaching and teaching of the word is the main way that we encounter the risen Christ. If we are not in the word, hearing, reading, memorizing, meditating, studying, we will have cut off the main way that Jesus has ordained for us to encounter him. All right? When Jesus taught the scriptures to these men and explained its meaning, it says their hearts burned within them. And here's a cool thing that I think we should do. We should pray for that. All right? We should pray that as we come to the word of God, that our hearts would burn within us. That we would not do what I'm guilty of, and I'm sure you have experienced too. You, you come to your quiet time, and you open up your Bible, and you read your passage. And by the time you get to the end of it, you don't even remember what was at the beginning of it, right? 
pray that God would make our hearts burn as we read his word, as we listen to his word, as, as you sit and, and, and listen to me preach, as you sit in small groups and talk about the, 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 the study or the passages or whatever that you're, that you're going through, that God would make our hearts burn when we hear his word, because that's how we encounter Jesus, the most central way that we encounter Jesus, right? But it's not the only thing that we see in this passage. We also see that we encounter Jesus in the sharing of the supper. So now it's unlikely in the context of this story that specifically the meal that they have is a a reenactment of the Lord's Supper. Okay, they're not having the Lord's Supper ceremonially, I don't think. Right. The reason is because this is like three days after the Lord's Supper began. Okay, nobody's ever had the Lord's Supper yet, um, ceremonially, except at, at that Monday Thursday service, right? So I don't, they're not in the context of a church. I think they're just eating a meal in, in this passage. And yet I feel certain that the imagery that we are supposed to be thinking about as this language is used of breaking bread and sharing it together, it's drawing our attention to the idea of the Lord's Supper, specifically there in lines 30 and 35. That in the breaking of the bread, Jesus was made known to them. So again, we could ask the question, well, how is it that in the breaking of the bread, Jesus is made known? And if you know anything about historical theology and the history of these things, man, that's a contentious question, okay? Seems like it wouldn't be, but it is. Uh, In fact, it's probably one of the most contentious questions in in church history, at least in, in the Western church history. Is the presence of Jesus a physical presence at the Lord's Supper? Is it a spiritual presence? Is it a symbolic presence? I've told you my understanding of it before. My understanding of it lies somewhere between a symbolic and a spiritual presence of, of, of Christ in the Supper. But, but regardless of that, regardless of the specifics, we all agree that Christ is present. We all agree that the gospel is being depicted when we share in the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper. And so we encounter Jesus at the Supper. And I think the case is this. It's not just talking about the specific Lord's Supper, but I think there's a there's a way that we can zoom out and sort of generalize to say that there's a picture here that we are experiencing, we are encountering Jesus when we as a church participate together in worship each week. Okay, When we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to share in the Lord's Supper, but obviously all of the other things that we do, we encounter the risen Christ. And so as we pray together, as we read together, as we make these affirmations together, as we give, and yes, as we share the Lord's Supper and as we preach the word and listen to the word preached, we meet Jesus in the gathered worship time. That's the second general way in which God has ordained that we would meet the resurrected Jesus. And lastly, we meet Jesus not only when we share and worship together, but when we share our lives and share our own tables with each other. We see that in starting in verse 29. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and he was at table with them. And he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So these men have the opportunity to extend the kindness and fellowship of hospitality. 
right? So we've talked before about what a central thing that was in the ancient world, about how important hospitality was for, for travel and for people moving around or whatever, because you didn't have the same safety policing kind of forces. You didn't have the ease of hotels and things like that. Hotels and, and inns to stay at were usually places of ill repute, um, right? And so it was, it was necessary that, that people would take people in and, and, and show them grace and show them hospitality, um, in, in this, in this era. And so, we see an example of that. These these men are sharing their lives with Jesus and in, and in turn sharing their lives with each other. Another thing that's key to this is that idea of table fellowship in general. In the Jewish world, man, who you ate a meal with was a really big deal. Um, the Jews didn't eat meals with just anybody. Right. You didn't call up your Gentile neighbors and be like, come over for, you know, dinner some night. You only ate with people who you considered to be in the same relationship to God as you were. Right. And so Jews wouldn't uh, sully themselves um, by sharing a meal with a Gentile person. It was a big deal who you had a meal with. And yet. The Bible gives us this picture of, of opening up our home, opening up our tables, and welcoming others in because there's something special that goes on in those encounters. It's gathering around a table, not just the Lord's Supper table, but our own homes and the table of our own homes, the fellowship our own, of our own homes. And in those times, we encounter Jesus. We encounter Jesus in that fellowship. That's why we encourage you, right, as individual members of the church, not just as something that we do as an official group or something like that. But we want you to be in community with each other. We want you to be inviting each other over and sharing your lives and having your kids play together. And, and you know what? You can do all kinds of things. You can get together and watch a movie and you can get together and go to a sporting event. And you can get together and play a game. But man, there's something special about sharing a meal together. And even more so sharing a meal in our homes with each other. And so I think the case is, is that we're getting a picture here. We encounter Jesus when we do that. We encounter Jesus in the fellowship of the body as we share our lives with each other. And so these are just three ways, right? Those three things. The word, the supper, and table fellowship are just three ways, but pretty central ways that we encounter the risen Christ. And notice this. After these men have encountered Jesus and then Jesus has done some supernatural Jesus stuff, right? Okay. Um, we, we read other stories in the New Testament where the, the disciples are in this inner room hiding from the authorities. And then all of a sudden Jesus appears among them, like out of nowhere. In this case, he's sitting there and then suddenly he disappears from in front of them. And that is exactly what I think it says happened, right? It is something strange and supernatural and wondrous. It is demonstrating the fact that Jesus in his resurrected body. Man, there are some similarities to our bodies. And we're going to talk about this more next week. There are similarities to our existence now, but there are obviously some things that are very different about the way Jesus is experiencing life um, at that point. But Jesus disappears and you know what these dudes do? It's late. You remember? It's late at night. Um, don't go anywhere else, Jesus. Stay here. The day is far spent. What should we do? Should we wait till the morning? No. 
Let's go to Jerusalem now and tell the other guys what has happened. And so they get up in the middle of the night, dangerous situation. You don't walk the roads at night in the ancient world or whatever, but they leave their home. They go to Jerusalem. And what does it say in verse 33? It says they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together and saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So they get there and the guys are like, Jesus is raised from the dead. And they're like, we know. We saw him today too on the road to Emmaus. He's, he, he appeared to us too, verse 35. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so they run to tell their friends about it. And the truth is, is we do the exact same thing. That's what we do, okay? When we encounter the risen Christ in his word, in worship, in fellowship, we go to other people and we say, let me tell you about how I've encountered the living Christ. And as we share about how we've met Jesus, guess what happens? Those other people go, I've met Jesus too. He's already been here tonight as well. Simon Peter saw him tonight. As I tell you about how Jesus has encountered me, you tell me about how you've encountered Jesus and we grow in the faith together. Again, primarily, above all, in the exposition of the word, in the breaking of bread, and in the fellowship of the table. And so, as we close, this is what I would encourage us all, is make those things central in your life. Make time for those things and Make less time for other less important things. I know watching The Office through for the sixth time is a big deal, right? But maybe don't, okay? Maybe just like have somebody over for dinner instead. And I know that's a little more work, right? And it takes our schedules and and changes things or whatever. But I guarantee you will meet Jesus in the fellowship at the table where you won't meet him in many other places. Get in the word. I hope that you've, you know, been, been, you know, every year we start the new year and people are like, I'm going to get back New Year's resolution. I got it this time. I'm going to, well, probably some of y'all are in Leviticus right now and it's crashed and burned already, right? Um, I hope that's not the case, but if it is, then start over again. You don't have to go buy a system. You don't have to read every single, just don't worry about that. Just get in the word regularly. Encounter Jesus in his word. And encounter Jesus here. Make being here a priority. And again, I know, man, we're all in weird situations in life. You got little babies and you got work and you got these things and you got aging parents and you got all kinds of things going on, right? It makes it hard to keep to a schedule a lot of times. And yet, what what we are offered in this time is something that you won't find out there. So make it a priority. Make it something that you're going to do pretty much no matter what. Even if you got to split up the household, you know, for that day. You got a sick kid, man, let somebody stay home with the kid and then you and the other kids go. Somebody's got to stay, then we understand that. But don't miss out on encountering Jesus in that moment.
Don't say, oh, well, it'll be fine. We'll just encounter Jesus next week. Man, that's not a good thing to do, okay? Uh, that is not the attitude that we have towards the risen Christ. I'll catch him next time. Don't do that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just asking that God would work these things in our hearts, that he would make them part of our daily lives. I hesitate to use the word habits, but I think habits are an okay word to use, right? We don't we don't want to do these things just out of a simple sense of, of duty or obligation. Um, but if that's all we've got, then maybe that's better than nothing. I hope that we do these things out of love and out of the desire to encounter Jesus Christ. And so let's ask God to work these things in us, um, to bring our hearts to a place where it is about the desire and the passion and the love of Christ that we would seek to encounter him. And that God would implant these things in our lives and impress them into our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we ask for your help that we would prioritize in our life, that we would recognize the centrality and the value of encountering Jesus Christ. That we would recognize that the entire reason we exist, uh, the reason why we were created, the reason why you have called us and saved us is so that we would encounter Jesus Christ that our lives would be connected to his, that our lives would be changed by him. God, that the world would be changed because our lives are connected to Jesus Christ. It is easy for us to think that our lives and particularly our daily lives are about so many other things. Father, Help us to see the unsurpassing worth of encountering the risen Christ. And God, help us to do that and see and be prepared and walk in, God, all the ordinary ways that you have, have done that. God, we can probably each attest to um, out of the ordinary ways, God, that we've encountered you in, in, in strange situations and, and unexpected times, God, and yet we know that you are waiting to meet us every single day in your word. God, potentially every single day in the fellowship of believers. God, every single Sunday as we join together for corporate worship, you are waiting to meet us. And we ask that you would do that. God, that you would help us to see you in those places, to meet you and experience your presence. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Extend the same closing song. I'm not even
Amen. Uh, good to see you tonight. Um, let me make you aware just real quick of one thing. Um, Leanne Pfeiffer, that most of you know, um, uh, I talked to her this weekend. So she's having um, some sort of complications from from her stroke that she had a while back. She's having to go back now to the doctor and do some more rehabbing kind of stuff. And so that's going to keep her from being here for at least a little while. And so just ask that you would pray for her. Um, that they would be able to to um, get, do some things that would would help her um, in in the short run, and I'm going to kind of be in contact with her um, if there are ways that we can help out um, and and minister to her um, during this time. So um, just be in prayer for her. Um, I think probably everybody in here um, knows Miss Leanne, um, and so um, she's a sweet lady. So um, we'll be in Luke again next week. Uh, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.